Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. This is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me. I got Sam Bassini with me. It is Wednesday, March 16th, and uh, we're going to talk about the actual regions today, I promise. But first, uh, the Shockers are in the field of 64. Fred Van Vliet Doe killed Vandy in the second half of the first four. Sam, I know you were uh, uh, sitting in beautiful Los Angeles watching it on television while Norlander and I were also sitting in uh, on the East Coast watching on television. Uh, first half tied at the break. Second half, all shockers. What does it say about Wichita State? What does it say about Vandy? And is Arizona in trouble on Thursday? Uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, all of those things are pretty much on fire. Uh, you know, like Vander or Wichita State is a mentally tough team that's been there before. They're experienced, and Vanderbilt this season has been anything but in a lot of ways. Uh, I would say that Arizona could be in some trouble because these guards that are physical that will, you know, get in your face like we saw last night against Wade Baldwin and uh, against Matt Fisher Davis. These guys are really, really going to get up in your grill. And, you know, Arizona doesn't necessarily have the guard play to deal with that. Like Parker Jackson Cartwright for uh, being a small gritty guy is not necessarily a guy that deals well with pressure right now. Kadeem Allen is a point guard that sometimes doesn't really dribble all that well. So that's not going to go well. Like it's, it's going to be fun to see them pressure this team and really, really struggle uh, against uh, an Arizona team that's not really a traditional Sean Miller team in a lot of ways. This is an offensive unit that, you know, as Alonzo Trier and Ryan Anderson, they're not the best defensive unit either. So the number one defense in the country going against a defensive unit, they can kind of struggle a little bit. I'm going to go Wichita State in this game. I wrote about it in my upsets uh, on each seed line column, but uh, I'm mo- I'm just mostly very excited that we get to see it because this is about as good as a first-round game can get, in my opinion. No, it's terrific. I took Wichita State in that game as well. I suspect a lot of people will after watching Wichita yeah. State in the first four. Norlander. Can, can we also talk about real quick about Fred Van Vliet, like, gushing blood and uh, then coming back and dominating? That's because Fred Van Vliet is a, another species. He is. It's crazy. And then the funniest thing after that is he goes, yeah, they aren't going to stitch it up. I, I don't do needles. Dude, have you seen the tattoo sleeve down your arm? Yeah, no, he, no, he, he, yeah, he absolutely does uh, needles. It is, it is nice. And listen, this is going to be over soon enough, um, just sort of by the nature of the tournament. But uh, it is nice to have Van Vliet and Baker uh, back in the main bracket uh, once again. Like they'll be playing in the uh, what most people consider the actual NCAA tournament once again, and they'll be in a high-profile game, perhaps the the most high-profile game on Thursday because it is um, it's two big brands. I know I know Wichita State uh, doesn't play in the Power Five; it plays in the NBC. But when you've got Final Four coach Greg Marshall and um, you know two All-American level guys in Van Vliet and Baker, like that, that Wichita State is a brand now. And so Wichita State Arizona is a a terrific round of of 64 game. Norlander, what I wanted to ask you was um, after the game last night, there seemed to be a whole bunch of people anxious to point out how this proves Vanderbilt should have never been in the tournament to begin with. I'm curious, do you subscribe to that? I've always sort of been of the opinion of uh, on Sunday, we can talk about what you know should and should not, uh, or who should and should not be in the tournament. But like once the bracket's set, I don't feel like anything that happens after the bracket's set 
suggest that um, has anything to do with where the bracket was on, on Sunday. In other words, when Kentucky is an eight seed and goes to the Final Four, I don't think that proves Kentucky should have been a one seed. I just think it proves that Kentucky happened to get to the Final Four as an eight seed. Uh, where do you fall on that debate? Like, the, does last night what happened between Wichita State and Vanderbilt prove anything about Vanderbilt, or is, does it just prove that you know, Wichita State was really, really good? Uh, the metrics suggested that. Uh, also um, suggested that Wichita State would be able to beat Vanderbilt, and so they did, and whatever. Yeah, listen, obviously one-game outcomes don't define season-long trends, data points, and results, so Vanderbilt losing last night is not an indictment on Vanderbilt being worthy or unworthy of a selection. I agree. I would say if, if, you know, if Wichita State makes the Final Four, to me, over a four-game set against really good teams when it was a top you know, 12 Ken Palm team coming into the tournament, there is definitely some justification to that. But with a one-game set, it doesn't it doesn't dictate that. I'm, I'm with you, and I think most people are. Unfortunately, you get to the tournament, and that's when everyone's paying attention. And there should be, like, I think that we should take a lot of value in what coaches and players can do over the course of a career in the postseason when, you know, it means the most. It's, it's gut-check time and all those cliches. But on a, in such a small sample size, obviously it's a very, very different thing. So I wouldn't have put Vanderbilt into the tournament, uh, personally. I, I didn't think that they should have been there. But because they lost, it doesn't mean that they weren't deserving. They were not the favorite team uh, by pretty much every evaluation. Wichita State was better, and so Wichita State won. So the expected outcome happened last night, and, and so be it. Vanderbilt goes down as one of the most disappointing teams in the country, given the talent that it had. You know what? Can I, I, can I just point what? something out, though, too? Mm. I, I do agree with Matt that typically a, a one-game sample is not indicative of creating, like, a trend of anything. But I do think that Vanderbilt's whole season uh, is ki- kind of was a microcosm of last night in a lot of I think of that ways. is fair. They, I agree with that. Yeah. Like, like what we got last team, night from Vanderbilt was what Vanderbilt's been for four months. Yeah, and in, in a way, I think that you can extrapolate that to make the argument like, hey, this team probably should not have been in the field. Right. You know, like this is the team that this is exactly what they were for four months. And we saw it last night. So uh, why would you put this team that has one like semi-decent road win uh, to its name all season in the field? One semi-decent like... Uh, at law or uh, you know neutral win uh, road or neutral win to its name it's embarrassing to me like, well, that, I, well that, that's what I would say is that on, on Sunday I didn't think Vanderbilt should be in the field I, I hope I'm, I'm being clear perhaps I wasn't um, I don't think Vanderbilt should have been in the field my only point is that Wichita State beating Vanderbilt doesn't doesn't mean Vanderbilt shouldn't have been in the field. Like Vanderbilt should, like any yeah. more than any more than what happens between any round of sixty-four teams suggests sure. what anybody Absolutely. should have been sure. in, in the NCAA tournament. If Wichita State would have lost. It wouldn't have meant they shouldn't have been in the field. Right. I, I, like so, if you were on board with Vanderbilt shouldn't have been in the field Sunday, I'm cool with that. But like last night doesn't have anything to do with that. I guess. I, I guess that's my point. Uh, Norlander, can we? I get, think. I think we, that I will say to this, it's another data sample in the larger scope. Yeah. You know what I mean? That yes. says they should not have been in the tournament. I agree with that. Norlander, uh, can we get your four, four month old uh, opinion of Vanderbilt? Yeah. Just a quick shout tournament. out to Carter who turns four months today and he is, listen, he's wide awake. He wants to play 
and uh, <laughs> it's too funny right now. So this is just going to be one of those things where he wants he wants in, and um, he says, "What Bonaventure should have been in?" Okay, he said, bon- <laughs> "He said Bonaventure should have been in, and he wants you to take Florida Gulf Coast with the points against Carolina oh, no. on Thursday." Oh no! I think people. Oh, gonna, man. I think people are going to get sucked into that Gulf Coast stuff on on Thursday. Twenty-two and a half. Twenty-two and a half right now. I know it's because they looked good, and by the way, Fairleigh Dickinson, great, great that they got to the tournament, but they, you know, their team just didn't didn't play defense. I, that wasn't a shocking outcome, but they I lost agree. to Rutgers. This yeah, year. and so I agree that you know Gulf Coast had it's a it's a recognizable name, and they had a nice game in Dayton. So I think people look at that twenty two and a half and say, oh yeah, I think you're, there could be something to that GP. You know what? I uh, my gambling buddies wanted to kill me because they were like, all right, GP, what are we doing in this first four game? Gulf Coast or Fairleigh Dickinson? I said, listen, everybody's going to be on Gulf Coast because it's Gulf Coast, because it's Dunk City, because they at least recognize the name. So, like, you may just want to play the other side. You just may want to stay away from Gulf Coast because everybody, every, nobody, no no casual gambler has seen either one of these teams play, and everybody's just going to go, oh, Gulf Coast, that's Dunk City, I'm taking Gulf Coast. I was like, if, if I were you guys, I'd probably just take Fairleigh Dickinson. Then it was 11 to nothing. Man, they, they hate Fairleigh Dickinson. <laughs> my friend, All of my friends have an irrational hatred toward Fairleigh Dickinson right now after that uh, performance. We're going to talk about the regions today, and uh, we're going to do that in just a minute. But first, I, I feel like we should probably address what is a big story uh, and developing story in college basketball, and that's the situation out at uh, Cal Berkeley. Um, Jan Huffnagel, who is an assistant in the spirit of, of full disclosure, um, that I, I believe we all know. I, I know Norlander and I have, have known Jan mm-hmm. for, for many, many years. And um, he, was, he was at Harvard, um, and now he's, uh, he, he was an assistant at Cal with Consul Martin and uh, was really one of and like considered one of the bright, young, uh, you know, future head coaches in America and um, was accused of sexual harassment by a reporter who covered the Cal men's basketball program and um, was was fired um, earlier this week. His initial public reaction was to say his name will be cleared, but Deadspin, I believe, got a hold of all of the um, documents redacted as they are uh, from the investigation, and it is uh, it, it's a bad bad look. I, I don't know how else to say it. Um, it. It seems to be even if you don't just take um, the woman's word for it. Um, just the, uh, what Jan acknowledges to investigators, according to the documents, and what the text messages show and suggest, se- seems to me um, to be like textbook sexual harassment. Like I, I think you guys know, we and, and probably anybody who works for a, a big corporation, like we have sexual harassment, um, we have sexual harassment training, like seminars and, and uh, online courses and. Like, honestly, reading that stuff, like, reminded me of some of those videos we watch about, hey, you can't do this, and you can't sure. do that, and you can't do this. Like, it was all, yeah. like, it's all right there. And so um, the larger issue here, uh, because at the end of the day, the, this will uh, ruin and, and likely end Jan's career at the at the collegiate level, um, and perhaps in coaching forever, I don't know. Um, he, he is still just an assistant coach. Where this gets really, I don't want to say interesting, but something is that Conzo Martin is the men's basketball coach, the head coach at Cal. And there's a report today from the San Francisco Chronicle that says um, he was made aware of these allegations in some form two months before he ever let the administration know. Now, for people who aren't familiar with what's been going on at Cal Berkeley, um, 
I talked to somebody earlier this week, I guess it was Monday night after the uh, Jan Hufnagel story first um, surfaced, who is actually a Cal graduate. And so he's, he's, in the, he's in the business of basketball, but he's a Cal grad. And he's very familiar with, like, they've had sexual harassment issues on campus with um, professors, deans, whatever. Like, it's been a thing there. And so um, the idea now that the men's basketball coach, the head coach, uh, was allegedly made aware of, of this behavior uh, two months before he ever reported it um, could, get, could get tricky for, for Conzo Martin, who, uh, you know, um, is coaching in the NCAA tournament. Has got a team that some people have projected to maybe go to a Final Four. And so I don't know if this is a distraction, but it, it would probably be a distraction for me if I were him. And I, it'll just be um, it'll be interesting to see where this goes because, you know, if you remember the Jim Trestle termination at Ohio State, and that was Jim Trestle, national championship coach. And, Sam, you can probably speak to this better than I can but because you're a grad. But that, that sort of originated with Jim Trestle being made aware of, of NCAA violations and then not running it up the proper channels, right? Yeah, that, that's pretty much exactly it. And he, like, he kind of miss I'm trying to think of that. I guess misled in right. a little bit of ways. Uh, the, the investigation itself, to be fair to Kwanzo, it doesn't seem like he misled anybody yet. I mean, this is still developing, clearly. Uh, and who knows, it could come out that he did, it could come out that he didn't. Um, it's, yeah, all of this is not a very good look. It's not not good for uh, Jan, who will, like you said, probably be done coaching, despite a career that seemed destined for uh, uh, being a head coach on the college level. And uh, it's not a good look for Kwanzo, who... If I'm if I'm correct, he still hasn't signed his contract, right? Like he is still working off of his offer sheet, I believe, uh, at Cal. I think that they're working to like kind of kind of pull that together. But if this turns, this could really turn for him. It seems like. Oh sure, and um, I, I will say this, um, and because I know some college basketball coaches um, listen to this podcast, um, one of the things I had a coach tell me few years ago was after the trestle thing honestly um was if he gets an email or a text message or any kind of electronic communication really anything really brought to him that suggests ncaa violations sexual harassment sexual assault allegations anything literally anything anything that might be deemed an issue he immediately just forwards it to his athletic director or to his compliance department. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. Hey, your best player is driving around in a car that looks like he can't afford. Cool. My compli- I, I forwarded it to my compliance office. Hey, your, uh, your, um, your starting power forward is getting free tattoos. All right. Thank you for the message. I'm sending it to my compliance department. Hey, I heard your best player might be a drug dealer. Awesome. I'm going to take your message, send it to my athletic director. In other words, none of this stuff is ideal. But, like, I'm not going to get caught up in why didn't you report this when you were supposed to report this. Hopefully, if there's nothing there, nothing will come of it. But, um, you know, I'm not going to lose a $8 million or a $15 million contract over me simply not forwarding possible, bad inf- possible information that's bad, uh, you know, up the food chain, so to speak. And so, like, that, I, I think if you didn't learn it from Jim Tressel, um, you might learn it from this Conzo Martin situation. Like if something like this is brought to you, 
you are crazy, particularly when you have a multi-million dollar contract that could be voided, you are crazy if you don't just 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 uh, forward it along to whoever you're supposed to forward it along to, and then and then just stay and then just stay out of it. Answer the questions when you're supposed to answer the questions, but sitting still, even for two months, because just so we're clear, Conzo uh, reportedly eventually did take this to the people he was supposed to take it to, but that two month gap, I mean that two month gap might get him, you know, like it really might get him. It might. I mean, it um, got it got Joe Paterno. For not reporting it. You know what I mean? And that was a totally different scenario where this is not nearly on the same level. But, I mean, it got freaking Joe Paterno. If it can get Joe, that's a good point. If it can get Joe Paterno. If not taking things and if not doing what you're supposed to do um, Mm -hmm. can get Joe Paterno and not doing what you're supposed to do can get Jim Trestle, it can sure as hell get, you know, a a second-year Pac-12 coach. So, like, I'm just saying – um, this story isn't over, and in, in, in any coach out there with a multi-year, multi-million-dollar contract should probably learn from it. If somebody comes yeah. to you with something like this, you immediately take it to whoever you're supposed to take it to. Doesn't mean you're ratting on your boy or you're 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 um, you know ruining your assistant coach. It just means you're you're saving yourself. That's what it means. You're saving yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, just hit the forward button. Right. Yeah. The email. Two things from me on this uh, before we get into the the games themselves. Uh, the athletic director at Berkeley has, has said this to dispel any doubts about Coach Martin's role. The university will be initiating a review of all the documents and communications related to his actions. We firmly believe the results will support our confidence in Coach Martin. Um, that's at the same time. Uh, a statement of support, but also a CYA move because obviously they could lead to situations where uh, their their support could could waver depending on what Martin knew, when, how much he knew, and all of that. We'll see. It's uh, and and now we get it in the middle of the tournament. It, it becomes a, a major storyline. There are a couple of you know dark storylines, I guess you could say, kind of hovering over the tournament. There's this. There's a situation at Yale, which um, is is murky to say the least. And uh, as we're recording this podcast, Yale is in the middle of doing, you know, media obligations in Providence for its tournament game against Baylor. And all its players are saying no comment in relation to a player who uh, has left a team, a team captain, over allegations related to, uh, you know, sexual abuse. So, it, you know, it's it's not a great look for college basketball. I just do want to say this before we move on. It's it's pretty damn awful that um, that women in every profession because i have friends who have nothing to do with with sports okay that have that have encountered this kind of stuff and it's kind of gross and disgusting that in 2016 this still happens but particularly in sports because there is a dynamic there that doesn't exist in a lot of other professions and where female reporters are trying to tell stories to get access to get scoops to break news and whether it's athletes or coaches or anyone else that's on the other side in terms of being on within a team or whatever, they have a certain level of power because they have information. And so there are multiple levels of abuse that can be happening in, this, in these kind of situations. And it's frankly, it's it's beyond me how this could continually happen. And it's um, it's brutal. The, the women in our profession don't have it easy by any sort of means. And stuff like this kind of reinforces how far we have to go. And it shouldn't be, we should not be still crawling to some sort of level of equality but yet we still are like no female reporter should have to go through this to if you read the details of the case against huffnagel like they're not good and even huffnagel's own words in being interviewed by investigators and what he did admit to and what his expectations were and how he thought some of this was inevitably going to be consensual like it's just 
it's not a good situation, and you know, I just felt that we. It's so obvious, but I feel like we have to keep repeating well, I, it. Like, I, I, I would, you know, like it's mm-hmm. it's, a, it's insane. I, well, I would say this goes on in in lots of work, most workplaces. Like on, like really, like um, I, I I've had girlfriends um, who like my wife when she was younger when she like worked at a workplace. Um, like women are subjected, particularly pretty women. Um, especially pretty women are subjected to, to so many things that frankly we don't have to deal with. And it, it creates all of these awkward and, and um, in, incredibly uh, in, difficult situations. And um, so I, I don't think it's unique to sports, but I do think it's especially true in sports. I, I'll put it this way. I have a whole bunch of friends who, who are, who are women who work in, in sports and sports media. And I would say the overwhelming majority are completely professional. I, I like, like they, they, they you know, like all of the cliches you'd hear, like, ah, she's chasing a basketball player. Or she's chasing a football player. I'm, I'm not going to pretend that that hasn't been the case in some cases and, and that it doesn't happen sometimes. But I would say the majority of, of women that I know who are in sports media and, and work in sports in general, they're just trying to do their job the same way I'm trying to do my job, the same way you guys are trying to do your job. And yet of those over, of those, the majority of women I know who are just trying to do their job and be professional, I would say the overwhelming majority of them have had to deal with sexual harassment in some way. Like, and, and, yes. and, and I mean, women who work in sports in, in college basketball, sports media and and who have been subjected to I don't want to say similar things because I ain't never heard a story about anybody trapping a girl allegedly in a parking garage but I, I can but I can tell you uh, similar things you know like where where it's just an uncomfortable deal you know where mm-hmm. they get text messages from coaches at weird hours you yes. know you know that they get text messages from coaches asking weird things uh they they are greeted in ways that um, that that we that we don't have to deal with, and so it is. Um, uh, I, I I hate to see anybody lose their career, but I can't sit here and defend what Jan allegedly did. Like that was a bad look. Uh, that that those documents are are like I I was it's a bad look, really bad look. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'll be honest with you, and I told you guys this off the uh, podcast. Um, I was hoping that this would have been like an isolated one bad thing where it could be explained with, ah, I had too much to drink, did something stupid one night, uh, said something stupid, texted something stupid. I, I wouldn't have sat here and said he should keep his job, but I could at least said, you know what, it's not the worst guy in the world, uh, messed up, he paid for it, what are you going to, you know, I, I was hoping it would be something like that. Uh, but this, this doesn't read something like that. This, this reads like textbook sexual harassment, using whatever power you have in your job to, to try to... Um, create a situation um, uh, where you'll get what you want from a, a woman who's just trying to do her job. I mean, that is an awful, awful situation. And, and so I, I don't know that, um, I hate that the woman had to go through this. Um, somebody's lost their job over this and probably their careers. Other people could as well. But I hope if I hope if nothing, and her else, career is affected. Like, let's not, let's, oh, yeah, no, you know, no, no, let's yeah, acknowledge no. the fact that like, yeah. she had this she woman's lost her career. job. She couldn't do her job anymore. Yeah, and so and so now she has to carry this with her for for basically the rest of her life. But in, in, in you know immediate terms, like for absolutely the foreseeable future, even though her name has not been revealed, um, there have been people 
Cal fans. I, you know, oh, yeah, have, I mean, it ain't hard to find out who she is. All right. It's, it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's just, yeah. you know, it's, so, it's a bad situation. Right. All so I, you know, I, I, I was hoping it would be just like a stupid one night thing. And that's still, I want to be very, very clear. I would not have discounted it, but it, you could chalk it up to like, well, just a, a, a dumb guy doing a dumb thing. And now he's paid for it. And, and he should, um, this is, this is much more than that. And this is, this is an issue in sports and sports media and I hope that people learn from it. I hope that men learn from it. I hope that coaches uh, learn from it. Like, yeah, uh, and we should be talking about this kind of stuff because it matters. Like, it affects us directly. And when stuff like this happens, we shouldn't just be like, oh, yeah, that, that was in the newspaper. Like, we should be talking about this and trying to make the culture better and just trying to be better humans overall. Right. And so, yeah, um, yeah stop, being, stop being bad humans. I guess that's the, the message here. Try to be a decent human being. Um, now let's get to the NCAA tournament. But first, uh, let me remind you that um, – you can get the complete March Madness experience with CBS Sports Bracket Games. Just You can start a group or enter to play for prizes, but you have to get the CBS Sports app uh, to make your picks now or go to cbssports.com slash brackets to get in before Thursday's deadline. Also, and this is really neat, make sure to check out sportsline.com where they um, have championship percentages on basically everything. It's great for folks who are in bracket pools. It's, it's great for gamblers, frankly. So if you don't have a subscription, you should get one to that, and then you'll get smart, and then you'll get rich. But, of course, only you can only get rich if you live in Nevada or somewhere where gambling is legal. That's sportsline.com. <laughs> Go check out sportsline.com. Uh, now let's let's get to the regions. Let's break it down a little bit. I want to start with you, Sam. Um, and let's start in the south. Sure. Kansas is the one seed. Sure. Uh, what's more likely, that Kansas is gone in the Sweet 16 or earlier? Or that Kansas makes the, the final four. Um, I would say that Kansas makes the final four is a little bit more likely. Um, well, you mean gets knocked out in the Sweet Sixteen, um, or do you mean before the Sweet Sixteen? No, in the Sweet Sixteen or before. So, like, here's the thing: okay. statistically and historically speaking, ones don't lose before the Sweet Sixteen. I mean, I know it happens, right. but it doesn't happen often. So, like. They'll lose before, I guess is what I'm saying. They'll lose before the lead eight or they'll get to the final four, which is more likely. Well, yeah, yeah, I would say that I would still probably take final four. I mean, Kansas is my pick to win the national title. I really like them. And uh, this Maryland team that they would be playing in the elite eight or in the sweet 16, I'm sorry, uh, is, you know, not necessarily the most consistent team. I don't know that they've really shown that, they can bring it at a high level on both ends for a full 40 minute game uh, on the in a road or neutral setting against an elite team. So <laughs> I would probably take Kansas over them. And, you know, the other team in that region is Cal, who is clearly going through some things, as we just discussed. And I, I don't know that we need to belabor that at this point. So I would take Kansas to go to the uh, elite eight to the final four into the national title. If, uh, if I could, and you know, the, the thing that, you know, I'm doing today and I'm doing it as we record this podcast actually is I'm doing a, an NBA draft related thing where I talk about 10 guys who could really, you know, step up with big NCAA tournaments. And I keep looking up and down this list that I'm writing. And so many of them are in the South region. Like Mellow Trimble, Sheldon McClellan, Perry Ellis, Josh Hart. Like there are so many guys that are this is an NBA draft rich region. And that's before you get to guys like Jalen Brown, Ivan Rabb, like all over those Kansas guys off the bench. Uh, 
just so many different players that are so talented and really have a shot to make the next level. And uh, this South region is crazy good. Well, that one of the things I pointed out in the column earlier this week, I, um, of the top 25 Kimpom teams, two of them are ineligible, so SMU and Louisville. So now we're talking about the top 23. Nine of the top 23 NCAA tournament-eligible Kimpom teams um, are in the South region. Like, like nine of 23 are in the South region. No other region had more than five before the tournament got started. And so uh, one region had five, one region had five, another region had four, and the other was uh, the South with nine. So... Um, I, I'm sure you can argue otherwise, but it looks to me like the, the South has the most quality in it, even though it also has the top uh, overall seed uh, in that region. All right, Norlander, let's move uh, to the West. Oregon is the one seed. What's more likely? Oregon is gone before the Elite Eight or Oregon makes the Final Four? Uh, that is actually, I think that's the biggest 50-50. Um, I, I'll give you, I'll answer that and I'll give you a few thoughts on the region. Um I would say more likely they're gone, although I do think that a lot of people are fading Oregon and really don't understand how good this team is. To me, they're a, mm-hmm. a rightful number one seed. I think they will get – it's interesting. You know, St. Joe's Cincinnati, I understand that's not a sexy 8-9 game. Um, if Cincy wins, I don't like Cincy against Oregon whatsoever. I am intrigued by St. Really? Joe's. Against Oregon, I don't I don't love it. St. Joe's has, has some dudes – I think that of all the potential one versus eight, nine games, I think Oregon St. Joe's has the best potential to be the best game. Um, Though I think UNC Providence could be the most entertaining game, although that could also really go bad for Providence. We'll see. Um, The the West is the region where I think a lot of people like a lot of upsets. Um, Like from everything from like, don't even call it an upset, I guess, but from Oklahoma being the more popular pick, out of the region rather than Oregon from Yale beating Baylor. That feels like a very, that, that almost feels too popular to me, to be honest with you. Um, and that is a, that Yale Baylor game is a late afternoon Thursday tip. Um, Northern Iowa over Texas. I thought about it. I couldn't go with it. I do think Texas will beat Texas A&M out of the West. I just think that's an awesome game overall. Um, I mean, Oregon State VCU, Oregon State feels a little overseeded to me, uh, but I feel that Oklahoma is going to get out of there pretty easily. Uh, I'm just fascinated by the West because I think it's fairly unpredictable. Let's see what Duke can do. You know, they're overseeded at a four. You know, I I don't know what to expect from this team. I don't think that it will lose to Wilmington by any means. Like, I think it will beat Wilmington with ease. But from there, I think it'll have some struggles no matter what. But, yeah, to me, the West is the uh, – as it always is, it's the toss-up region because the West always gets the leftovers because there aren't that many programs out West. And then when there aren't that many programs, there are even fewer that are usually good that you can put on the one, two, three, and 4 lines. And so that's that's always why the West is a, is a mixed bag. Yeah, I've got Oak, uh, Oklahoma coming out of, of the West. Mm-hmm. But I, I will tell you, I've, I've watched Oregon a bunch, and especially in that Pac-12 title game, and they were phenomenal. I mean, I, I mean yeah. now I think they're just an awful matchup for Utah. Like they made Utah look really, really slow, and mm-hmm. and created a whole bunch of turnovers. But that that Oregon team, I know people haven't seen them because, I mean, honestly, you can't watch the Pac-12 Network most places around this country. I mean, you can't get it under. I can't watch the Pac-12 Network. <laughs> I like it's just I. How about this? I even emailed the Pac-12 one time. Here's what I said, and I, I said, listen, I want to watch your teams. Like I'm the only dude in the Central Time Zone who wants to watch your teams. 
but I, I, I literally can't do it. Like I, I have DirecTV, I have every channel on DirecTV, every channel. My DirecTV bill is like a million dollars a month. And, but I can't watch your games. Like, why don't you guys, I told somebody at the Pac-12, you know what you guys ought to do is like get some sort of online login for just media members. Just so like you, you want us talking about your teams. You want us writing about your teams. You want us to be educated on your teams. That was, that's what we always hear. Oh, there's an East Coast bias. People don't watch us. You know why? Because we can't. You've made it impossible for us to watch you. But, but you, so what you ought to do is like, and I don't mean just for me, but for every, everybody you care about, um, you should get us logins so that we can watch your games. And they were like, yeah, we talked about that once, and then we, we just decided not to do that. Okay. Now, running, running a TV okay. network is, you know, it, I, I understand the difficulties, but running a, running a TV network successfully is difficult. Running one competently is not difficult. <laughs> uh, the Pac-12 network does not run a competent TV network. I was talking, so, about, I, I was talking about, like, hey, 30 logins just so people yep. can actually watch your games. Like, I, how, about, how about that? I don't initiate any conversations with anybody, hardly. Like, the idea that I would take the time to say, you know what, I, I should, I should, this, this might be helpful for them. Maybe they've just never considered it. Because, like, I'm confident there are other people who are in the business of, of covering and talking about, writing about college basketball, who, like, every once in a while they look up and they go, oh, man, USC and Utah's playing, but I can't watch it. I was like, maybe, you know, maybe this is a good idea for them. And I sent it to somebody I know, and they were like, yeah, we talked about that one time and just decided not to. Okay. I can't okay. watch okay. Pac-12. I can't watch Pac-12 network games outside of Los Angeles. No, and I live in Los Angeles. No, it, it's crazy. And did you see the report from earlier this week that um, they had the projections were when they started the Pac-12 network yep. that, that each school would be getting like five or six million dollars a year from the Pac-12 network right now, and it's really like a million, million and a half. Like it's just not yeah. it, it. Whatever they thought it was going to be, it is not being. But I, I thought that was pretty short-sighted. Like you, you're, you're, you're making it. You know, there's a there's a million channels. You shouldn't be making it this difficult for people to see your teams. But my larger point, and not to get sidetracked with the Pac-12 network, was that people haven't seen Oregon, um, but mm-hmm. I, they're good. Oregon is a. They're a, really good. Yeah, that's Let, a, that's. I a, will say this about Oregon one. though. Oregon hasn't played a team this year uh, that will punch them in the mouth like Cincinnati will if they play Cincinnati, right? Like Cincinnati is going to make that game physical and really ugly. The only two teams that they've kind of played that have like a similar kind of thing going, uh, Valparaiso, who they barely beat at home. You know, Valparaiso is really going to get down and defend you. They're really going to protect the rim and really play you tough defensively. And Oregon State is actually a team that, you know, they have really physical guard play and, and they're not afraid to really just kind of bump and grind you throughout an entire matchup. And they split against Oregon state. I mean, this isn't a team that has had to deal with a whole lot of physicality this year. So that's what makes me interested in Cincinnati at the very least. Um, Cincinnati will give them a different look that they haven't seen yet. St. Joe's matchup with them just kind of makes me think, all right, like they do a lot of what St. Joe's does as far as, you know, creating matchup problems and they just do it better because Dana Altman's a genius. Like Dana Altman will find that weakness and just exploit it let's, throughout let's, the let's entire Let's tone game. down the genius talk here. I mean, he's not a genius. Like he's a good basketball coach. Come on now. <laughs> talk to, seriously, talk to no, like no, college basketball defi- coaches. Look up the about, definition of genius. Look up okay, the he's a basketball genius. genius. He's a basketball genius. Okay, fair enough. Let's go to the <laughs> yeah, east. Like, Let's go to the east. North Carolina is the one seed, more likely Norlander. UNC's gone in the Sweet 16 or earlier. 
or makes you the final love four? this question. I, this one is the one clearly where Carolina would say more likely to be gone before they get to the Elite Eight line because they've got Indiana or Kentucky possibly awaiting them in that Sweet 16, which obviously would be the most coveted possible matchup from a TV perspective. Um, I think there was something to that. I will say this. Um, the pro- I'm, I would love to see Providence beat Southern Cal only because I think Carolina versus Providence, which people will remember was a terrific first-round game two years ago. Um, I would think Carolina would win that. But let's say you know Providence gets hot, which can happen with teams where they suddenly just start balling out from three. And if Providence goes you know, 9 of 16 from three-point range and, and Dunn doesn't have one or two dumb turnovers, which he tends to do in every single game. I love everything about Dunn, except he just can't help himself. There'll be these couple times a game, just no excuse for that kind of pass, no excuse for what you just did. You turn the ball over. If they cannot do that, I think there could be a decent chance. Uh, Kentucky, Carolina would be a lot of fun. Uh, I am interested to see how Warney goes up against Kentucky. We talked about a little bit about that on the previous podcast. We talked about how I have Chattanooga over Indiana. Um, what's funny is, you know, in the South, I think a lot of people are going to take Wichita State in Arizona, over Arizona and what's now a pick them. I don't, I don't think anyone's really going to take – Anyone to beat Notre Dame in that 6-11 between Michigan and Tulsa? We'll see what happens with that game overall. Um, but to me, the top half of this bracket is, is very interesting. The bottom, I still like Xavier to come out of it. But um, but there are a lot of – like if West Virginia and Xavier met, I think that would be a fantastic game. I think Notre Dame-Xavier could be a fantastic game. And no one's really putting Wisconsin to have any sort of chance to reach the Sweet 16. I get that. But it would be so Wisconsin of them if they were to get past Pitt, get past Xavier – wind up in Sweet 16. Um, let's let's see what happens with all of that. I think it'll be a, a very interesting region. In the East, always, because of the nature of, again, it's the opposite of the West, because of how many teams are based on the East, and we're always going to have good programs in this region, it's it's always interesting and will and we'll offer up interesting TV matchups. I will say that the East seems like the best region for um, a team outside of the top two seeds to get out of there, and that's, that's only really because Kentucky and Indiana are – outside you know that that's the four and five seed you know, those are mm-hmm. preseason top 15 teams actual top 15 teams Ken Palm top 15 teams and power five champions like you know I I don't really think Indiana I mean Kentucky was underseeded um, as we've talked about before as much as John Calipari thinks Kentucky was underseeded um, but I do think Indiana was underseeded given what they've been really since since mid-December on um and, and the idea that, uh, that that's the four and five seed when they are both top 15 uh, Ken Palm teams and champions. And then they both have something that uh, makes them capable of beating just about anybody in the country. With Kentucky, it's the talent. You know, they just have the talent to, to go beat anybody in the country. And with, with Indiana, it's that three-point shooting. You know, the senior great point guard. And then, and then shooters, you know, they, 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 that's the type of team that can get hot and, make, and just bang home 12 three-pointers on you and beat you. And so um, if you were looking for a region where you're, you're trying to take somebody besides the one or the two seed, uh, you could do it anywhere. It doesn't matter to me. But, like, the, the East seems like it is the best uh, place to do that, although um, I have North Carolina. <laughs> Despite everything I just said, I have North Carolina <laughs> uh, going to the Final Four out of there. All right, uh, Vecina, let's go to the Midwest. Virginia's the one seed, more likely. Virginia's gone in the Sweet 16 or earlier, or Virginia makes the Final Four? I do really like this Virginia team. I do have them in the Final Four, and I think I actually have them in the title game. Uh, 
uh, I would go Virginia here. I feel relatively good about uh, about what Tony Bennett and that group has done this year. In the second round, they'll get either Texas Tech or Butler. I don't really think either of those two teams are all that dangerous. And in the third round, it gets a little bit interesting because, you know, Purdue has Little Rock in the first round, who I think is a really dangerous 12. Iowa State has Iona uh, in the first round, which not as dangerous to me, but uh, Iowa State is a team that can really play. I don't know if they can beat Purdue or Little Rock, though, in the second game of a back-to-back in Denver, because if you listen to former players talk, they always talk about how it's not the first game in altitude that gets you. It's the second game in altitude that gets you, right? So, You know who, you know State, who told me that one time? Who? Devin Downey. Shout out to Devin Downey. That's what I thought. That's exactly what I thought. I was just worried we were going to get through the podcast, and I hadn't found an opportunity yet, so I had to set myself up. Fair point. Um, so I don't know if Iowa State's going to get out of that region. If Iowa State gets out, I think that they can give Virginia a game. But it, it's tough for me to really look around and say, like, yeah, one of these teams is going to beat Virginia. So I, I would say Virginia, I think, is going to go to the Elite Eight at least. I have them in the championship. And I think that, you know, them and Michigan State at the bottom of that region is a real toss up. But, man, do, do I like Seton Hall right now. I, I have to tell you, I really like Seton Hall. It's hard for me to pick against Gonzaga in the first round. They've won seven straight years, I think, in the first round. But, man, Seton Hall is just so athletic, and they're so good defensively. And they have, for my money, one of the ten best players you know, currently in college basketball in Isaiah Whitehead. He is unbelievable right now, what he's doing. Uh it's, it's really tough for me to look at them and they get Utah in the second round. And a lot of what we said about Oregon, you know, just kind of being able to match up with Utah and really cause them problems athletically is going to be very similar for Seton Hall. Seton Hall is going to be able to just kind of out-athlete Utah all, all over the floor. And that could lead to Seton Hall getting a shot at Michigan State, and that'd be a really fun game to me. I don't know how that would go down even. So I like this region. I think it's way more fun than the West. I think it's uh, way more open than uh, a lot of people are talking about until you get to that Elite Eight showdown that will likely come against Virginia and Michigan State. But uh, I'm excited to see what this region brings because I do think it can bring some upsets. You mentioned GP real quick. Go ahead. You mentioned Isaiah Whitehead. He uh, had 26 points in the Big East Championship game and that went over Villanova that secured uh, Seton Hall's first Big East tournament title since 1993. Also, um, you mentioned they play Gonzaga. That's Thursday night. That's the late game on Thursday night. There are four late games that start like 9 Eastern and later. Yes. The late Thursday night is awesome. That's what I'm saying. You're Same ready? wavelength, man. That's exactly that's what I was going to say. This is the best TV window by far by the far. first two days. It's okay. D- dude, I like. I was looking at it earlier today, and I was like, man, late Thursday night is lit. You ready? It's um, Wichita State, Arizona. That tips at 920 Eastern on TNT. Then it's Stony Brook, Kentucky, which I think is going to be fun. That's 940 yes. Eastern on CBS. Then Providence, USC. Chris Dunn, Ben Bentle. That's going to be fun. That's 950 on TBS. And then Gonzaga Seton Hall, 957 on True TV. Like, that is the best four-game window of the Thursday, Friday, uh, the opening Thursday, Friday of the NCAA tournament. I love me a good late tip. Like, the final game on a Thursday or Friday night, it's always fun to kind of end with something thrilling. And I think we'll have a good chance between USC Providence or Seton Hall Gonzaga. That should be uh, that should be pretty good. But you want to talk about music real quick before we wrap it up? Because I know we're tight on time here. Yeah, let's um you you had a really interesting first idea and then uh secondly uh, uh execution of a 
of uh, something that posted at CBSSports.com earlier this week. You get you found every NCAA tournament coach, sixty eight dudes, and you asked them for their favorite uh, musical artist of all time, whether it's a band or a solo artist or whatever. What uh, what made you laugh the loudest? What surprised you the most? <laughs> okay. Um... Quick background. I got the idea for this in 2013 when Tony Bennett told me at the Peach Jam that he loved Boys to Men. Okay, so I wanted to do it for a few years, and finally, just instead, I had to do it this year. Um, what made me laugh the most, I think, was Kermit Davis telling me he loved Boz Gags because I love the <laughs> idea of a man named Kermit loving a man named Boz. I mean, that is so good. Uh, I mean, uh, and then oh, and Bill Carmody coming back to me with Bach. Like he's the That's only the coach in the. That's I mean, first of all, could you have a better, more perfect, like, honestly, of course, Bill Carmody picked Bach. He's the only one who didn't actually give me, like, a legit, <laughs> like, someone who made music within the past 60 years, okay? Just, <laughs> just so good. Um, it was it was fun to report out. Got trem- Listen, here's the, here's the fact of the matter. This thing got more run than anything I will write about basketball in March. I mean, that is just the fact of the matter because it's music. People love it. Everyone has, you know, people will mock coaches for it, praise coaches for it. I will say the coach that got more flack than anyone was Mike Krzyzewski for Beyonce. He was also the only coach that did not get back to me for this, but he is publicly on the record as really liking Beyonce. So that's what he got by default. Even if Beyonce is truly not his favorite, that's his quote unquote punishment, I guess. No no coach got more like crap for his pick than K for Beyonce because people think that he's he doesn't genuinely mean it. I would say that uh, Archie Miller picking Alice and Chains. That's perfect to me. I could, I could, I could, one hundred percent see Arch listening to Alice. Without and a doubt, right? All day long. I yes. think he got the most love and run. He actually, Archie texted me too. He was like, "My brother's getting so much crap for picking John Mayer, which he shouldn't. John Mayer is legitimately a ridiculous guitarist, but I get why people would hate on Mayer on, Mayer on a surface level. But he's like, I got this cult following me around, man, because these people like Alice in Chains. I was like, that's right, man. That's exactly what I want to hear. So it's just really cool. Um, and then the Link Darner meatloaf one was just, I was cracking up so much when uh, when he came back to me with that, just because, I mean, it's who would pick meatloaf? So I thought it was... Um, Pretty fun, very interesting. Nobody, nobody's say, favorite artist should be Meatloaf. You, you should know a Meatloaf song, but Meatloaf, sure. should, but Meatloaf shouldn't be your favorite artist. And I would say this. So real quick, if I was doing like my personal Final Four with everyone in each region, um, in the South, I would go with Nick McDevitt at Asheville because I'm a huge DMB fan. In the West, I would have to go with Tinkle because I love Pearl Jam more than any other band in that region. In the East... If I can't double up on Pearl Jam, you know, Tom Kringo and U2 was a bit of a surprise, by the way. I was not expecting that. <laughs> I, I like prob- that. I, I probably go, man, I probably go beeline with Marvin Gaye. A lot of people gave Calipari crap for Train, which is just too amazing, by the way. That was very, very funny. Um, and Chris Mack deserves even more flack for going Kid Rock. But he unabashedly, <laughs> he, does not, he does not apologize for it. Like, he, I tweeted out that he picked Kid Rock. And he sent me back a photo of him, like, third row at a Kid Rock concert, like, mid-Kid mid Rock scream. It was amazing. I've been and then in the Midwest, hey, 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 have you never been to a Kid Rock show? Of course not. You didn't go um, to the, What about the one at the <laughs> Final Four? No, I don't think I was, I was there. When was it, what year would that have been? Oh, God, Norlander. The years uh, this run was, together. How I would I know? I didn't, I didn't even go. And then in the Midwest, it's tough. I, I like Allison Chains a little more than Beastie Boys, but shout out to Kevin Miller for going Beastie Boys. Who went Tom Petty? 
Uh, how about Greg Marshall went Tom Petty? I like that and... one. That's a good. That's a good. I could understand a scenario where Tom, most of those. I just don't understand how it could be your favorite artist. Like Boys to Men. How could that be in? Like literally anybody. How could that be anybody's favorite <laughs> artist? Like I bet yeah, the guys. I bet the guys in Boys to Men don't even like really love Boys to Men that much anymore. You know, like if you were in <laughs> middle school when those songs uh... came out. Like fine, but like, how could Boys to Men be your favorite artist? But like, but like, there's a handful of them where I go, okay, that could be your favorite artist. Like the Beatles, who had the Beatles? Tad Boyle. Okay, so which, the, it's the, a really strong one. Tell yes. me that. I mean, well, of course, it's a strong one. It's a, and it's a, like a real answer. And I could even understand. I don't know if it's true for Kay, but like, I could understand how Beyonce could be somebody's favorite. But I could also understand how Tom Petty could be somebody's favorite. That's my point. That's a reasonable yeah, answer. Yeah. It's a hey, reasonable Sam, any, answer. Any anything stand out to you that you enjoyed from the uh, from the coaches and the bands? Yeah, there were a couple things. Uh, some someone started posting pictures of Sean Miller and John Mayer faces, and like how they oh. look the same when they're like singing and uh, like shouting. In Sean's case, it was hilarious. Like it was really funny. That was good. Um, uh, the Eagles. Who, who had the Eagles? There was a matchup well, of the Eagles. Yeah, I think it Huggins, was uh, Huggins and Underwood. Yeah, which is funny because they coach together too. They probably yeah. uh, can you they, imagine that Kansas State office? You just, they just take it easy on repeat. <laughs> just Witchy it. woman? No, witch it, a woman. It was it was, it was it was hugs. Who would it have been? Hugs, Brad Underwood, and Jacob Pullen, and they're just listening to Eagles' greatest hits. <laughs> <laughs> well, how good would that be? You you bust up in the Kansas State. You bust up in the Kansas State locker room. It's hugs, Brad Underwood, and Jacob Pullen listening to the Eagles' greatest hits. That's yeah. funny, man. I, I buy Enfields being Beyonce. That was pretty funny, I thought. Said it was um, a, primarily because his daughters love Beyonce, so that's why he went. He wound up liking Beyonce. So yeah. Uh huh. Um, what are I'm trying to think? There, I was surprised by the complete lack of rap music in a lot of ways. Well, like, I thought there yeah. would be some, but like Kevin Willard did Beastie Boys, and that's and that's really good. That's interesting it, because he's a 40 year old, so he's a little bit younger than a lot of these guys that are. Uh, that are picking, obviously. And Scott Drew went with Lecrae, who I'd never heard of, but apparently is is like a faith-based rapper. So that's pretty <laughs> much it. I did think about that, though, um, because of how old these guys are. When they grew up, music on the radio was much more varied than it is now. So if I did the same exact thing in 20 years, it might actually be kind of brutal because <laughs> it might be all so similar artists. I did want to do quick two quick shout-outs here. I loved... Billy Kennedy answering the cars because the cars are freaking awesome and one of the more underrated bands ever. And Scott Nagy at South Dakota State basically told me that he listened to nothing but Boston when he was in college on his Walkman, like in the locker room. And I thought those were two really under the radar, strong suggestions. But overall, it was it was really rewarding, very fun. Like Shaka Smart was like, I asked him about it maybe like a month ago when Texas was like a lock to get in. And then, like, three days later, he's like, when, when's the article going up, man? I want to read this thing. I was like, dude, it's going up, like, the day after Selection Sunday. He's like, okay, I want to see it. So there were a few coaches that had, like, that just were intrigued overall. And the responses I've gotten back from some of these people has been – it's been very fun. So it was just, like, you know, a cool pet project. And, uh, All right, well, let's, you know, let, music let, is my thing, man. Let's end with this. Um, Norlander, if you had yeah. to pick um, your favorite artist – one before your generation, one from your generation, who would you go with? From my generation, I unapologetically, in, in the Chris Mack style of Loving Kid Rock, I am the same with uh, with Dave Matthews' band. Um, before my generation, it's, you know, the Beatles is such an obvious answer, but I think it's got to be them because it still is 
Like, I, I just never get sick of that style. If it wasn't the Beatles, it would be Zeppelin, which they're two, like, totally mainstream, obvious answers. But the, the, honestly, like, the, I still... The, there's a reason why those records and those songs are still played so much. It's because they're actually legitimately that good. What no, about you? No, to, well, to your point, um, uh, who was it one time? Chuck Klosterman did an article about the most accurately rated bands of all time. Do you, do you ever read this? Do you ever see it? Yes, I did. And yeah. I think, didn't he, didn't he say that the, the Beatles or Zeppelin, I like, you're, you're... He, he said the Beatles were number one and he said, um, yeah. he said the Beatles are the most accurately uh, rated band of all time because everybody thinks they're great and that they wrote the best songs and they were great and they did write the best songs. You know, like that. So like when people say that sometimes the most common answer is the actual right answer, you know? Yeah. And, and I think mm -hmm. the Beatles is that. So from, from the generation before me, uh, my answer would be the Beatles from my generation. I don't know I've, what you'd say here, man. I've never, what really, would you say? I've never really thought about it. I, Cause I, my answer, yeah, neither my answer has always just been the Beatles because the Beatles are my favorite band. Um, Elliot Smith? Nah, we can go Elliot Smith. I like Elliot Smith. Um, okay. You know what I would probably go? I'd go the Beatles generation before I was born. And of my generation, I'd probably go Kanye West. That, okay, so that's... Are you saying that... I would say of your generation has to be between the ages of like 13 and 20 okay. when you were in your formative years. And well, that was not Kanye West. Well, Kanye West is my age. He's my generation. Okay. <laughs> He's my age. <laughs> Me and Kanye West, is okay. I'm the same age as Jesus. Um, okay. But what band, like, did you, what band did you really love when you were a senior oh, in God. high school? Oh, God, it was all the same things everybody my age loved. It was Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains. Nine Inch, and, you mentioned no, Nine, Nine Inch Nails. Inch, it was Nine Inch Nails, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, um, Soundgarden, Tom Petty, you know, I, I loved back then as well. Listened to a lot of, I, I think all... All 15, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, they all listen to whatever's the, the biggest thing at that time. Like today, mm -hmm. it's mostly hip-hop. Like today, kids are probably, like the 15-year-old the, the the version of me today is probably listening to more Future and Drake than he's listening to like any sort of rock band. But like at the time, it was all that alternative rock stuff, right? It was like Pearl Jam and all those guys. So like those and then like, uh, but then also listen to a lot of, Zeppelin and a lot of Beatles and a lot and but I think kids today probably still listen to Zeppelin and Beatles. Every you got it. You got to go through the Beatles phase, right. the Doors phase, your Doors, Floyd phase. Right. Yeah, please write the passage. I've right. even done that. Yeah. Right. But right. but mostly yeah. Sam is mostly about uh what Nelly, right? Do I have that right? Um you, you like that turn of the century rap? Yeah, I like turn of the century rap. I have a big <laughs> like 90s early 2000s playlist of music like i have i have a lot of ja rule on this playlist yeah, i have a lot of that's who i was thinking of yeah. a lot of kanye and outcast um uh, a lot of ti um like i have a lot of uh, a lot of that kind of stuff uh early on in high school i listened to like a lot of this stuff and then i listened to a lot of uh just like like alternative like punk music um, that you would probably find terrible, Matt. As it wasn't uh, actually punk. Yeah, I know you, what you mean. Is, no, 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 no. I know what you mean. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly. Fine. Like, no, dude. Whatever. Like what um, you like. That's, that's the whole thing with music. Now I would say I'm trying to think. Like I would say that my favorite thing before my time is uh, I've listened to a lot of NWA since I've gotten out to Los Angeles. Like even before the movie, <laughs> Sam's getting hard. <laughs> yeah, like even even like before the movie, like I started listening to NWA. Oh, I was really into NWA. Hey, listen, um, I, my street cred is legit because I was into NWA before the movie. Came out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, 
like I'm trying to think of when, when I went through when, like a Wu Tang clan phase for a yeah, little yeah. while. Um now I would say Kanye would probably be up there for me. I listen to a lot of like two chains and Fetty Wap and like <laughs> Chomi yeah. Kwan and stuff. So like I, I don't really I don't really think of it as like I have a favorite like rapper necessarily. Like Kendrick too. I listen to a lot of Kendrick and Kendrick is awesome. So um yeah, no, I just listen to a lot of rap music basically. Wow. I thank you for indulging me because I, I, honestly, we could have done an hour and a half on that. So I know, but uh, but uh, I have to get to work. <laughs> and so do I. <laughs> we were like, we're gonna do thirty minutes, no matter what, and it's been and now an look hour. at us. We're sitting here arguing about whether Kanye West is from my generation or not. I I would argue that he is. By the way, I think he is. From generation. I think if anybody's my age, they're my generation. Orlando. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair way to put it. Yeah, yeah I would think of the music of the music of your generation though was when you were. Younger, but hey, listen. Hey, hey, I the got, listeners hey, stuff. hey I and I know you love your. Hey, I got an idea. You don't get to you don't get to determine that, Norlander. Okay, <laughs> you get to determine your own generation. Yeah, I actually don't think. I think that's actually the exact opposite. You don't get to decide. <laughs> uh, well, wait, wait, wait. Before we get off, what is your favorite song that you listen to, like when you're writing? I don't. Listen I can't to listen songs. to music when I write. Actually, yeah, yeah, if I listen, crazy. really, yeah, no. it's explosives in the sky. But I almost never listen to music when I write. Yeah. I, I don't either. I can't do that. I get distracted. I have to have everything off. I can't turn the TV on when I'm writing. I have to write. Otherwise, I'm just like constantly not writing. Interesting. Maybe that's like a, a like person people of my generation thing. We're like we're so used to multitasking, or maybe a little bit more used to like multitasking with multiple screens. Also, that, like, also, I might, listen to music a lot. Also, might be why your generation has a bunch of typos. That's true. I have a ton of typos. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. <laughs> All right. On the next podcast, we will explore the different how different generations uh, type words into a computer. But for now, um, I've got to go get makeup on and talk on television. Is that okay? Enjoy, enjoy <laughs> your studio time, man. We'll be watching uh, uh, in between games and all that stuff in the tournament. You're vi- hey, no, you watch me instead of the games. Okay, absolutely. All right, thank you. And uh, remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast at iTunes. Uh, go do that. That's the way to get the quickest uh, the episodes uh, most quickly. And uh, we will talk to you again on uh, Friday, I guess. We'll do it Friday. And uh, until then, take care. Bye. <laughs>